We all deal with the Sunday scaries, right? Sunday scaries are those, oh shit, stressful, nervous, can't sleep, dread feelings that hit you on Sunday evenings when you think about work or just freaking life. Unfortunately, you can feel that same pit in your stomach any day of the week. Thankfully, Sunday Scaries CBD gummies were made to defeat the crap that life throws at us. These are the perfect CBD gummies for professionals on the grind, super moms, students, party animals, and everyone in between. Look, I get really nervous before these interviews that we do, so I take two CBD gummies every Sunday before these interviews, and the Sunday Scaries are gone. I have no problem with these interviews. So we've partnered with Sunday Scaries to bring you an incredible offer. Head over to sundayscaries.com and use promo code DELUXE15 at checkout to get 15% off of your entire order. That's sundayscaries.com and use promo code DELUXE15 at checkout to save 15% off of your entire order. This podcast is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find other great shows on the network, Head over to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. That's deluxeeditionnetwork.com. Welcome to another episode of Deluxe Edition. I am your host, Casey Shearer, joined, as always, by L. Ray Sexton. What's going on, Casey? <laughs> Not much, man. I was trying to, I'm always trying to think of something that to yeah, say right. before your name, and I have this, my poster across the wall. I just didn't know how to fit it in, so I'm going to say it now. Is it that kitty picture where it says, hang in there? <laughs> no, I'm going to throw it in right now. Right. Acclaimed by critics around the world as the best podcaster in Cleveland, L. Ray Sexton. What's going on, Casey? Not too much, man. How are you? That was a fantastic uh, opening line there you gave me. I feel bad because I never do one for you. I will give you bonus points if you can tell me what that tagline, what movie that that tagline is from. Hmm. If I was guessing, I'm going to say Full Metal Jacket. Oh, how did you know that? Oh, my God. That's amazing. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. It's almost like you might have seen the inside of this room one time. Well, what it is, is, is I know what your favorite movie is. So I'm assuming when you sit there, you want that straight across from you. It gives me inspiration. Right. It's like my favorite movie is hanging on the wall behind me. So That's right. It's not. All right. You got to read the room. <laughs> Literally. You read it great, right? Speaking of great, man, we had another great interview with Joe Castro. 
a, a special effects guy for the last 40 years in Hollywood. And uh, if you're listening to this episode on uh, an audio platform, I highly recommend switching over to YouTube right now because there are going to be a lot of images thrown up in this episode because Joe is one of the best. But before we get into the interview, let me just do a little house cleaning here, Ray. Mm-hmm. We are a part of the Deluxe Edition Network. You can find all of the other great shows on the network over at deluxeeditionnetwork.com, like the podcasts of the month, Hilf, History I'd Like to Fuck with Don Brody, and Barrel-Aged Flicks with our boys. And let's see, you can find Ray now over on Deluxe Edition Pod on Instagram. He's been posting daily over there. Mm-hmm. And let's see, one other thing. You can find all of our other shows over at deluxeedition.show. And for everything else that I always say, just go to the description of the podcast. It's in there. You're already here. I don't need to say it anymore. Ray, you have anything else to say before we get into this interview? Yeah, when you go over to to the page, make sure you hit that link and and buy your lady that white tank top for summer with the big deluxe edition uh, logo on it. You know, from what I've heard, guys have been getting super lucky that have purchased these for their lady friends. That's the, that is the word on the street. That is that's what we've been hearing. So, yes, yes, it is. All right, here's our chat. With Joe Castro. We were chit-chatting about uh, Michael having Michael on last night. Okay, yeah. Crazy. <laughs> you know, I worked with him on Auntie Lee's Meat Pies when I was like 20 years old. And I knew he was. Karen Black was on that. Pat Morita was on that. But, you know, we didn't have cell phones back then. And, you know, it wasn't very common for you to just like walk around with a camera, right? I wish right. I had a, you know, a selfie with him back then. Yeah, when, when we were texted last night and you told me that, I actually looked that up and I think it's on Tubi. I just oh, haven't had a chance to yeah, I just haven't had a chance to watch it yet. I was like looking at that cast, I was like, holy shit. Yeah, everybody was in that movie. Yeah, there was a lot of fun people in there. I met Terry Weigel on that. You know who Terry Weigel is? No. Terry Weigel was like uh the uh, Playboy Playmate of the Year that year or the year before. He was also in um uh, uh, Innocent Blood, the one that John Landis directed. She's like, uh, okay. She tried to like make a crossover into uh, mainstream cinema, but she was kind of like pulled back into uh, adult cinema. So, okay. Well, speaking of that, digging into your career, man, you have definitely worked with quite a few uh, beautiful women over the years. I, uh, are you recording? Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, I was like, uh, I didn't know how. <laughs> I, I have worked with probably some of the most beautiful women in the entire world. I'm just going to put it that way. I have. Um, like most, uh, I, I'm an opening gay man. I, I, I have been around some of the most beautiful people, uh, beautiful women that you will ever meet, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, and I'm very grateful to have had such an amazing career and, uh, uh, you know, had so many experiences that uh, most men would only dare dream of. <laughs> yeah, yes, absolutely, man, for sure. So, uh, yeah, so you've been a special effects guy for over 40 years in Hollywood. And um, watching a bunch of your previous interviews that you've done, I found out that you got your love of the horror 
genre from the movie uh, Godzilla versus Hedorah. Am I saying that right? Hedorah, yes. It's actually, well, like the American, uh, you know, the American uh, title is Godzilla versus the Smog Monster. Okay. Godzilla versus Hedorah, yeah. So I went and I actually watched that the other day. I had never seen it before. And I was like, well, this explains everything. We don't even have to talk to Joe People just go watch this movie and they'll know everything they need to know. What's so amazing about that movie is the special effects in that film encompass all areas or avenues of effects for that time period. It had, you know, practical effects that were like, you know, miniatures, of course. It had pyrotechnics. It also had amazing, like, uh, uh, mechanical effects for the creatures. And then it also had, like, transformations in it. It had uh, like makeup effects where like the people would like their skin would burn. So I got to see every kind of imaginable special effect in this first movie that I saw, you know, basically when I was seven years old. And, uh, uh, you know, my dad introduced me to Godzilla versus the Smog Monster when I was seven. And uh, he knew, you know, he, my dad, you know, he knew what made me happy. He, he, he knew he was uh, he was my biggest supporter. And, um, you know, I would be where I am without my father. And uh he, he, he knew that I would like Godzilla versus the Smog Monster. So he sat me down. I was like, son, watch this. You're going to love it. And, um, and I did. And by, by the time I was when the credits were rolling, I was like, dad, how do they how do they do that? And we watched the end credits together. And he pointed out on the screen where it said special effects. And, of course, it had, uh, you know, the, the Japanese uh, artist who made the, uh, the effects. He said, that's special effects, son. That's how they do it. This man right here, he's the one that, that, that made the special effects. And I told my dad right then and there, I said, that's what, dad, when I grow up, that's what I want to do. I want to, I want to make special effects for motion pictures. You know, and he knew it. That's awesome, man. So we, we actually found out on last week's episode with Michael Berryman too, that Ray has a similar, uh, he didn't take the path that you took, but he, he yeah. saw the Hills have eyes when he was five at the drive-in. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was a great experience. They just, I went straight down the path of loving horror for the rest of my life. Yeah, 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 yeah. That movie's a good one too. It's um, one of those cult classics that will never, uh, you know. So, so many movies have come that have come after that have tried to xerox and duplicate and copy and mimic the art that was created in that film. You know, yeah, absolutely. So, you mentioned your dad in Texas. You grew up in Texas on a slaughter farm, right? Uh, there was a slaughterhouse on the property. It was, uh, I grew up on uh, 55 acres of property in uh, Helotus, Texas, which is right outside of San Antonio. And um, we had, uh, you know, we had all the great things that Texas has to offer. We had like a shooting range and we had like all these like like cars and stuff set up and you could come out there and shoot your gun. And of course, we because we had a lot of a big piece of property, we also had to, we used the, the, the land, it's like farmland uh, tax write off. And you had to have a certain amount of livestock on your property in order to get that tax incentive. So we we kept a, a, a herd of goats, and um, we had a slaughterhouse because my grandfather was a very uh, a, a very good businessman, and um, he would um, he would sell goats to these um, I don't want to say it, like these like like Iranian men that would come to deal with like Texas oil, right? So they would come to South Texas to like conduct business. And, and part of the ritual of them, like, cutting a big dis- business deal, it, these Iranian men, they would slaughter a young goat, and they would drink the blood directly from the neck of the goat. 
and they would come to our property and they would like just like slap down a big wad of cat. My grandpa would bring out the goat and they would do it like right there on the front porch in front of everybody. It wasn't like in the slaughterhouse even. Like right, right. There, they had like a goblet and the whole bit. You know, they would drink the blood, the warm blood directly from the head. So do you think also, like, not only Godzilla versus the slime monster, but do you think that possibly, like, seeing some of that also goes into some of your of your work as well? Like, because, I mean, you got to see it firsthand, exactly how things happen. Absolutely. I mean, I I saw things that no child should ever see. I'm gonna say <laughs> you know, I saw and experienced horrific uh, life and death situations and... Um, you know, we lived on a country highway, um, and that's all there was, which is the country highway. All my, all my, my, my mother and her parents lived on one side of the, of, the, of the highway, and my father and his side of the family lived on the opposite side of the highway. And when my mother was 16 years old, she literally walked across the street to my father's family where they lived in a house. There were like nine brothers and sisters, and she picked out the most handsome man and brought him back over to the side of the property. I swear I'm not making any of that up. <laughs> down. But between that, we had, I mean, I, I saw every sort of livestock. Um, we even had, I'm, I'm a straight up honest with you, we had a tiger at one time because my, my uncles would um, like um, take care of like, what do you call it, uh, exotic livestock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People were transporting it. And so we'd have this stuff like that. He, we, we had um, all kinds of exotic deer and big game on the property. Because uh, we had such huge pieces of property, and we had fenced-in areas where they could be kept. And um, I, you know, when an animal goes through puberty, it, it cannot be a pet. It becomes an adult man or an adult animal. And you know, try telling one of us what to do, right? <laughs> Make an animal that goes a wild animal goes through puberty. What to do? It just doesn't work. And right. uh, saw animals attack, get at other animals, and attack other animals, and. I remember one time I saw this um, followed deer, ram an axis deer right in the head and crack its skull open. Then they tried to save the axis deer, but you can't come back from something like that. You know, you cannot put those two together. You know, you thought think they would get along, but you can't. But that that's just like a like a little like a little blip of the things I used to see <laughs> growing up. But uh, yeah, damn man. So so when you saw that that Godzilla versus the slime monster, did you want to? You had no desire to stay in the farming business at all? <laughs> Have you ever raised a barn? I mean, I've seen it done, though. I mean, well, I I was a, I've been a roofer for 20 years, man. I know hard labor. So My father, my mother, my older brother, and myself raised a barn by ourselves. Oh, my God. It was one of the most horrific things I've ever done in my entire life. We had to go up onto a piece of the property that we had and find, you know, basically two-story trees, cut them down, and then drag them out of the forest onto the piece of property where we were going to build the barn. It just, just this kind of stuff. It's all this, like, you know, like when I look at art, when I look at, like, the horror and the gore and then this and then that, I go right back to Mother Nature. Like, literally, I, I, want, I don't look at other people's work when I'm trying to get inspired. If I want to make something online, if someone says, Joe, I want you know, this to happen to the guy, I want to see the side of their head ripped off. It has to be ripped off by a bomb or a shotgun, whatever. I will Google that. I will find it, and I will, I will try to, to, to mimic that. 
I, you know, I always go to Mother Nature when I'm looking at my art. And that's what I really got from growing up on the farm and from seeing all those things is that, you know, Mother Nature is like the best artist there ever was. Well, you know, if you can even come close to Mother Nature, you're doing great. Absolutely, man. So what, like, I remember as a kid, like when the Internet was first coming around like there was uh rotten.com and and stuff like that are, are those like are those still around like sites like that is that what you're talking about like you go to places well, like that to... i don't remember i don't well see i i you know i um i recently got married and uh, i've been with my partner for 25 years now and um i didn't even know the internet until i, I, I got i met him and um so i but when was this i don't remember <laughs> when, i would when, say like in the like mid 90s there was do you remember this right rot you got to remember me and joe are just enough ahead of you i'm 51 i have no fucking clue what you're even talking about i've heard of rotten.com but what is that it was like like it's exactly like what you're talking about like if you want an image of like a dude's face being blown off medical accurate stuff right yep okay well when i was in the 90s when i when i was when i was uh doing my my special effects here in hollywood there was a book a, a book that would be passed around to all the special effects shops and it was medically accurate you know like cadavers and pictures of all this stuff and um there was this uh, uh well i'm not going to go into that there was this running well there's this running joke about one of the images in the back of the book it's probably one of the most horrific things you've ever seen and it was a man who killed himself uh pleasuring himself and i'm not going to go into detail about it but that's how graphic the book was with all these medical pictures of dead bodies and people and that's what people would use for reference you know back before the internet damn how did how that's (laughs) incredible you have to look it up now i believe that (laughs) the the picture itself is called like f5 or f15 that was like the code you you seen f15 oh my god take a look at it or whatever it was and it asked i'm sure if i asked one of the um the makeup artists from back then, uh, that time, they'll remember what it was, but uh, it's pretty horrific. Anyways. Do, do you ever, like when you're showing somebody uh, like uh, an effect you just did that's like horrific and, and you're laughing because you just have that moment where you're like, I don't know, because like a good effect, well, most people cringe, but people who like are into horror or special effects tend to think it's funny, the reaction they get. Yeah. Do, do you actually find yourself snickering and people looking at you like, what the hell's wrong with this guy? <laughs> you know, I be, I'm going to be honest with you both. I've come become very soft in my old age. I like gross myself out. I don't even <laughs> laugh. I'm like, I, do, I can barely put the blood on. Like, oh, okay. And I'm like, here it goes. I'm going to have to pour the blood on you. Or I was like, I want to look at it. I, I rarely watch bloody movies anymore, to be honest with you. Uh, but I know what you're talking about. I think that comes from being excited and being you know, that giddy kind of like shock value that we all love. I think a lot, a lot of us in horror, especially cult horror, like really appreciate that shock value that comes with films. So, yeah, you know, I, there was a time, and now I laugh at, I laugh at different, different stuff, but yeah, no, um, I, if I, if I would have known growing up that putting special effects makeup on uh, uh, actors was going to be in some ways very uncomfortable pouring sugar and syrup on them and gluing their eyes shut and taping stuff to their head and this kind of thing. I may have taken a different path. It can become very kind of like, it just creeps me out. I think Tom Savani has a similar experience. He talks about like 
you know, glue on his skin and stuff like that. He just can't stand it. I can't stand having um anything on my hands anymore. I wear, I, I buy of those rubber gloves by the cases now for every show I'm on. I'm constantly having stuff on my hands because anything sticky or paint or glue or blood on my hands kind of creeps me out, grosses me out. <laughs> That's so funny, dude, that you're like <laughs> one of the best special effects guys in Hollywood, like with the, like the horror and gore and all that shit. And you don't even like it. I cringe. I cringe at it. You know? I'm like, oh, I like put the blood and I walk away from the set. Like, okay, y'all film it. <laughs> That's that's so funny, man. So uh, your dad then got you a camera when you were 12, right? My mom uh, and my dad, a basically a telephone uh, salesman. My father was a telephone salesman for a, a company that um, uh, sold uh, drafting equipment for, you know, commercial uh, architectures, right? You know, the drafting equipment to make the plans for buildings and stuff. Um, he was a, tel- a te- telephone salesman a company called Kufel and Esser and my mother was a high school teacher uh, in 1982 they both put together money tw- uh, $2,200 and bought me a video camera at the age of 12 Damn. the huge huge feat you know yeah and that's a lot of money back then it was a Christmas present and when they handed that's a lot me of money the, now yeah and when they handed me the money when handed, when handed me the camera and they got me the camera they said there's your college education good luck <laughs> <laughs> they said <laughs> oh, really yep. and how long did that camera last you i broke it like within three months no oh. but, but like you know it, it was it was a portable camera it was like the first one out in the market there were two yeah jvc and i believe uh sony or or was it jvc maybe in panasonic panasonic and i got the jvc and it was uh it was a, the, the one that was like two elements right it had the one that was connected to the tv and then there was the one that held the tape and the tape had the uh chargeable battery in the back of it and you would you would you would charge up the battery and you would remove one of the units and you walk around with the the big camera with a cord attached to the the mobile unit with the, the uh, rechargeable battery in it. and um i dropped it one day when we were out shooting on the ranch you know we could we we would run around the ranch. Uh, we're going to say we. I mean, like my friends from middle school, and um, uh, we would make uh, you know slasher movies on the on the property, and you know learn how to make blood from Cinemagic magazine and Fangoria, the blood formulas back in the day. And um, I was very fortunate to have um, a friend that lived like less than a mile and a half from me, who was just as interested in special effects and horror movies as I was. His name was Kevin Williams, and he's still one of my best friends today. And um, uh, he, he, his, he, his parents bought him a video camera, too. <laughs> and uh, we would, uh, like uh, on the weekends, we would spend the night at each other's house, and we would stay up for like two days straight, you know, making like a little short film or and crash on Sunday before we had to go back to school on Monday. <laughs> and... Um, uh yeah you know so i broke the camera like within three months i dropped it and it wasn't working anymore and then one of my other friends his name is Stephen schaff who's still one of my best friends today his father worked for the uh the military military i believe it was the air force there in san antonio texas and my mother drove me over to his house and you know they had the military already had all this equipment like you know years before right they already had all this technology and he just opened it up and then he took his uh, some his finger and spooled or did something with it and just put it back on and goes, there you go. He fixed it just like that. You know, back then it was like, you know, 
a, a screwdriver and a, and a and a piece of gum would fix a car, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so was was this one of the like was this a camera that you would actually put the VHS tape into, like one of those? Put the VHS into the deck that, that was on a like a like a strap, you know, you carried it on your side and you had yeah, yeah. It was it was giant compared to today's standards, you know. So we were we never actually talked to him. We were supposed to talk to uh, Todd Sheets, and I know that you worked with Todd as well. And he was one of the pioneers, I guess, of that the the SOV, the shot on video, um, like that. And since we never got to talk to him, I'll ask him the, the or I'll, I'll ask you the question I was going to ask him. Did you ever get into editing any of that stuff? Like how did how did they edit that tape? That's an amazing question. Check this out. This is like this is like the universe right here. Literally yesterday afternoon, I went to lunch with uh, my husband and one of his good friends that he went to a college with, high school and college with, in South Texas. And he, we were talking uh, here in LA. We were talking. We we're at a restaurant. There's a chit chat, and we were talking about editing. And he's like, "Joe, did you ever edit?" And I said, "Yeah." I said, "This man named Bill Skinner in San Antonio, Texas, edited taught me how to edit. I was 12 years old. He taught me how to edit." And um, he said, "I know Bill Skinner. <laughs> I hadn't I hadn't seen Bill in since I was 15 years old." And um, I, I he said, I said, really, you know, Bill Skinner. And he said, yeah. He goes, I said, is your friend on Facebook? He said, yes. And I just reached out to Bill for the first time uh, yesterday since I was 15 years old. And, uh, you know, I had a chance to tell this man, you know, he literally shaped me and molded me into the man I am today. He's one of the men that, 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 that can contribute to that. And, uh, you know, I, you know, at 15 year old, you don't, you don't think about those things or yeah. you have the, you know, decency to, you know, lend, you know, such gratitude to another man that way. And, uh, but, but I had the opportunity to say that yesterday and yeah, you know, when I was 12 years old, I went and walked to a video store in Leon Valley, Texas. And there was a man there who ran the store. His name was Bill Skinner and Bill, uh, I was talking with Bill about horror films. I was a very chatty, chatty young man. You know, uh, you know, I was, I was a very, um, aggressive young gay male in Texas. You know, my, my, my parents had the opportunity to give me what I what I needed. I was a, I was actually also a star athlete. I was on the water polo team. Uh, we were state champions. And I was very aggressive when it came to getting what I wanted. And so I walked up to Bill and I said, Bill, you know, we were talking about horror films. And I said, uh, you know, he, he, I said, I'm making a movie. Can I show you? I want to show you this movie that I'm making. Because they had editing facilities there. And he said, I'll show you how to edit, Joe. And he showed me how to edit tape to tape. So I was um, I edited my first feature like when I was 15 years old. It was called The Trouble with Meteorites, and I can give you a link to it too. It's up on Vimeo. I don't know. So I've kind of considered it even more entertaining than some of the movies I make today and work on. <laughs> you know. So, uh, but yeah. So I hope that answers your question. But it, it, you know, well, well, sort of. I mean, how how do you do it? Like, how how was it done? That's that was nonlinear editing. Nonlinear editing. Kids these days have no idea what I'm talking about. Yeah, I don't. I do everything right here at this computer. Well, nonlinear editing is you have to edit the movie from the beginning to the end, and you can't go back and change anything. Oh. So literally, let's say, for instance, you're editing your film, and there's a shot that's missing from a scene. You have to, like, guess how long that shot's going to be, and then you have to leave a blank space there in the edit 
and then continue on with the edit. And then when you put that shot, because it was on tape, you can't, you don't, you don't cut and shorten the tape. You, you can insert edit the piece, but you can't shorten the tape. Gotcha. And, um, yeah. So it was different. It was, it was called nonlinear editing. And then when that was linear editing. And then when nonlinear, I'm sorry, what, what was I saying? Linear editing. So when nonlinear linear editing came along, that's what we do now, right? With the, um, you can just move around however you want, yeah. move things around and move the entire track of audio over once if you want to cut out a scene. Then, uh, um, um, yeah, but uh, it was uh, it was just basically two two VHS or two tapes running at the same time. You know, one of them had the the master, one of them had the footage, and they would roll. And then at some point, they would like sync, and then they put the piece of footage over. You know, the, the edit would stop. It was very kind of Frankenstein like if you think about it. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, it sounds it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. once it was complete, like once that first uh, linear and it was finished could you then go back and edit it again after that like if like say you really needed to if you needed to like trim it down in time yeah yeah what you could do is you would have to trim it again in order but you'd have to right put it on a new tape and because it was analog it would lose a little bit of quality each time yeah yeah <laughs> oh man is that is that why like so many of those like direct to video movies are so grainy and and like oh yeah there it's like like my background right here it's like yeah. it's like I'm killing my eyes looking at it it's so grainy <laughs> I think yeah, that looks kind of like that Todd Sheets movie behind yeah. you that's what that I, 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 I hear you I hear you loud too yeah if you're watching a movie that was shot on half inch video yeah. you're literally you like like losing uh, your eyesight, you know, like for a couple of days or whatever. And in the long run, on the other end, do not watch a movie shot on half inch video. It's wow, just for your eyes. Yeah, I don't know how we did. Thanks it. for answering that, man. I've I've always been curious about that. Uh, so let's see, what took you to L.A. Then you you went from directly from Texas to L.A. Right? I went directly from Texas to L.A. Uh, you know, when I got out of high school, I was kind of like. You know, doing this business, I didn't know what to do. You know, like most kids do, right? I don't. Do I really want to go to school? That sounds like a lot of work. And um, and I already knew what I wanted to do. And my, my father knew what was going to make me happy. Um, my father. Uh, one day, I was like coming coming in the house uh, from being out. Like uh, I was working at a at a, a, a very large bar in downtown San Antonio, Texas. I was a bar back there. I was making great money. Of course, I was. Uh, I don't know if, if either of you two ever worked at a bar, like a big. Oh uh, yeah, you know how crazy it can be. Right? Yeah, I work. I was a bar back at a strip club in Reading that Howard Stern used to talk about. Al's yeah. Diamond Cabaret. Yeah, they get crazy. Yeah, it's a whole other kind of life. It's a whole other kind of money. It's not the same money. It's not the same anything. And I was coming in, and he was going out, uh, and um, or maybe he was coming in, and I was going out. <laughs> uh, but he saw me on the front porch, and he said, "Joe." Uh, Joey, they call me Joey. My name is Joey. Uh, it's Joey. Um, promise me that you will never stop chasing your dream. You know, because he saw that I was in this like bar situation, and he didn't he didn't want me to be there. And I said, I promise. And then, um, you know, a friend of mine um, who also had an interest in doing special effects said, uh, "This is another friend." I had like two friends in San Antonio. Actually, I had three. I had. Um, uh, a young man named Abel Gonzalez who actually died in a horrific 
police shootout here in Los Angeles with the cops. The cops shot him dead. Damn. Um, God bless Abel Gonzalez. I uh, you know, wish he was here with us today. Um, but um, yeah, so there's that. And then there was a young Kevin Williams, who's still my friend. And then there was another young man. His name was uh, Chris Olivier, who drove out here to L.A. with me. And um, uh, we put everything we owned in the back of two trucks and a U-Haul and drove out here uh, expecting to, to, to have a job when we got here. Because a friend <laughs> who I was a pen pal with um, from Florida said, hey, Joe, we, uh, I'm here with some friends and we just got this gig. We're going to make we're going to be doing the special effects movie and I need to put together a team of people. So come on out and I'll, I'll put you to work. And I said, OK, well, we'll be there in like a week, you know. And I told my parents and they got me a little truck. And I think I had like fourteen hundred dollars. And which is a still dollar, but if you think about it, back in 1989, yeah. for an 18 year old to have or 19 year old to have, and uh, drove out here. And um, uh, when we got there, we literally pulled into town. And I went over to my friend's house first stop, right? Knocked on the door. He's like, hey, good to see you. Uh, but we don't have a job. The job, the movie fell <laughs> through. Oh. I'm like, what are we going to do now? <laughs> like, Welcome to Hollywood, kid. Get to work. <laughs> Damn, man. Uh, so before we get into your time in Hollywood, I, there's another question that popped up to me here. You mentioned earlier that you are you were an openly gay, an, a, an aggressive, openly gay kid in Texas. Yeah. Well, uh, and you said your dad was a, a big supporter of you, you know, throughout doing what you wanted to do. Did yeah. you ever get any flack from coming out like what wh- how did that happen like the well you know my my, my, my we, i didn't really talk about her i didn't have i didn't have to i mean just I, I was i was kind of a bully to be honest with you i was still yeah, yeah basically <laughs> uh, I, but i was uh, you know I, I had this gift I, I had this talent i was 15 i had this god-given talent right yeah absolutely i had this talent all my uncles on my father's side of the family my, my father has four uh, younger brothers and all of them are extremely talented. You know, like they were hunters, they were taxidermists, they were painters, draw, they would draw. I mean, one of my uncles like carved like this, you know, this beautiful wildlife scene on like the, the side of like an animal deer horn or a bone, you know what I mean? Like that. That's, these were like some amazing talented men. And um, so I, I know that's where I got my, my skills from on my father's side. And my father, you know, was uh, like, we didn't really, we didn't talk about it, but. He was like, son, you know, I just don't want to see you get bullied and pushed around. That's it. It was his only concern. And uh, and so, you know, they wanted to toughen me up. They wanted but what they ended up doing was they would they made they made me into kind of a bully, you know. And um, I became good at what I did. I won a um, a national special effects makeup contest when I was 15 years old. Through uh, did you ever read Famous Monsters? Famous Monsters. I, I know about it. Yeah. So, so Forrest Ackerman sold that magazine, and he made another another magazine called Monsterland magazine. It was for like a little bit of a younger audience. So he had a special effects makeup contest uh, called, uh, you know, yeah, you know, I, I forget what it was called, but he had a contest in there. And you had to be like seventeen and younger to enter, and um, you know, to keep the even playing field. But uh, Joe Dante, director of the Gremlins, the Howling, and yeah. uh, John Carl Beekler, you know, who recently passed away. Director of uh, you know, what do you mean, Trolls and uh, Friday Thirteenth Part Seven and so many of our, our movies we love, he, they were going to choose the winners and then uh, the, the the winner got to be flown out to Hollywood and um, uh, meet all these like you know people. I was introduced to all these people, and so I won that competition. And when I won that competition, of course, I got a big head. 
I got like a two page spread in the uh, yearbook. You know, we were, I became state champs my senior year for water polo. Uh, you know, there was a lot of good stuff going on in my high school. And, uh, you know, my, my, my brother was a tough guy. Uh, they, they did everything to make me a tough guy. So it really was never an issue, you know? Yeah. And, um, yeah, you know, I guess growing up in South Texas, gay really didn't. <laughs> well, that's good. That's a good thing. Right? Uh, it was all right, you know. I mean, yeah. we everything is a lot because honestly, like a lot of people like you, they they didn't have stories like that, you know. Yeah, no, it's that's very true. It's very true. You know, I, I was I was, you know, I I look at my child as being like a lot of terror and torture. But it also shaped me into the man I am today, you know. So yeah. have to take the good with the bad, I guess. Absolutely, man. Awesome, man. All right, so let's get to uh, California. Your first job, you're picking up cigarette butts on the Universal lot, right? Yeah, yeah. And then how? So how does Evil Tunes with David Carradine and Dick Miller become your first gig from picking up cigarette butts to working with David Carradine? Yeah, you know, um, I think what happened was, um, you know, because when I came out, when I, was, when I was 15 years old, I came out to Los Angeles after I won that contest. I was introduced to a whole bunch of different people. And one of the most amazing uh, people I was introduced to was Brink Stevens. And Brink was, um, she was, you know, I don't know, she was just a little young in herself at the time. And um uh, I think that's how my name, I, I don't remember exactly how my name got thrown into the hat, but it, it, it did. Um, maybe I was, um, uh, you know, I was also um, introduced to a man named Jim Keegan, who was one of the, who was, what the, was, was the editor who was helping for it, put together the famous, the Monster Land magazine. And so I, you know, I, I reintroduced myself to him when I came back out till when I was 19. You know, of course it's, it's all about connections, you know, so it's, it's all about connections. And, um, that's how my name got thrown into the hat for that. And so, um, you know, I think I got, I had like a week or two to do all the effects for that film. I had no idea. I had no idea who was on it. I, you know, back then we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have, you know, Facebook pages. You had no idea who was in the film. You just had like a phone number to the person and they were going to call you. And then they were going to oh, get directions over the phone and, or whatever. But there was uh, it was a very different time. And uh, you show up on set and, um, uh, there was, you know, Dick Miller was in that film. Uh, Artie Johnson, which is one of my father's favorite co- comedians. You ever see a Love at First Bite? <laughs> oh, I never did. You never seen Love at First Bite? Artie Johnson plays Renfield in that movie. He has this amazing laugh in it. It's just hilarious. I remember. If you, if you, I think if you look at the trailer for Love at First Bite, it's like a Dracula spoof. He plays Renfield and he does this funny laugh. I think it's in the trailer. Anyways. Uh, Arnie Johnson's in that. Uh, David Carradine, which is, you know, he's a star of. Uh, you ever see Lone Wolf McQuaid? No. Yes. That's my dad's favorite movie of all time. And uh, so I got to I got to do special effects with David Carradine, uh, and I got to send that picture back home to my father. Uh, you know, me with David Carradine and uh, Fred Olin Ray, and that was you know, you couldn't get any better than that. So, nice. So your yeah. dad did, is your dad still around? My dad died of a horrific heart attack car accident in 1997. Oh uh, wow! Literally, literally about two miles from our home on the country highway. Damn. Yeah. But he did. You you mentioned he did get to see. 
your start to, in you did get to see my start yeah yeah i did yeah that's good yeah damn man all right i had i just have after that i just have a ton of like little notes here now that so you played you were in the beast comes at midnight where you you were the you made the creature and you were the creature or you were the man that turned into the creature and that was a first for you right that's right yeah yeah you know i mean about uh three three years ago right, right before the pandemic i was i forget what movie i was working on and um I was, I guess I'd put like some creature makeup or something on somebody on set. And I walked back behind the camera to the monitors to um, watch them act. And they just, I don't know who it was. We're just going to, it's very vague, but they destroyed it. They like, 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 no, don't, no, don't do that. Like, I don't believe that you're the monster. I don't believe you're dying. You're a terrible actor. Who did you, who do you know that got you in front of this camera? Right. I'm like, I can do better than this. And uh, at that moment, I, I'm like, I want to be, I want to act, you know. So yeah. I, um, I, you know, I took a, some professional acting classes here in LA. And um, what I found out was either you know what acting is or you don't. That's all there is to it. It's one or the other. And um, <laughs> yeah, Ray, Ray always just says it. <laughs> when, do, when Fred does this, oh, Ray says it. Yeah. That's yeah. the focus. Yeah, either you know what you're doing or you don't. There is no in between. You're either performing, like putting on a show, or you're acting. Uh, if, if you act, if you ask any like um, like professional Hollywood actor who is good at what they do, what acting is, they will all give you the same definition. And you, if you ask any actor what what is acting, they'll give you some weird like philosophical version of what they think acting is, and it's not at all what acting is. Acting is very simple. Acting is the duplication of real life. That's all it is. It's not even really creative, if you think about it. That's why actors go and study people in their natural environment. Because all they're doing is looking. How does a fireman react when they're holding the fire hose and they're going into certain death and they watch him or whatever? Now, how does, it, how, how does a crazy person act when they're locked in a cell for eight hours talking to themselves? Oh. They don't make this stuff up. They study them and then they reproduce it. It's uh, if, if you Google like um, Robert De Niro, what is acting? He gives like a video definition. And it's exactly that's where I got it. That's where that's where I learned it from. It's the xeroxing of real life, the photographing yeah. of actual life experiences. Well, when we talked to uh, Michael Berryman last week, he said on his I was that his second move? No, uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest when he. When he was in that, they actually had like I think two weeks with the patients at the hospital, so they could study them exactly what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, and that's why uh, you know, it, it's heartbreaking to see these. Probably gonna, I'm gonna want to shoot myself in the foot, but look, it, you got people now who are, you know, acting in movies now is a is a lifestyle. It's like going to Anacrombie and Finch and buying a shirt. You can purchase a role in a movie, right? Oh yeah. But these these a lot of the, a lot of these people that are doing this, they're they're not acting. They're just you know they're pretending and playing and performing and uh, uh, it's just such a great disadvantage to everybody who's actually hired onto the film. You know, like if I make an amazing creature and I bring it to a film where someone is you know goofing off or you really don't know what they're doing, you know. I, I could bring you my, I could bring you a BMW and you won't know how to start it or drive it, you know, 
or right. Tesla, you know what I mean? Bring you a Tesla and you, you let it die, you let it run out, of, run out of battery on the side of the road and you have no place to charge it up. You have to walk away from it. And that's, that's exactly, it happens all the time. I can do my best. Some of my best work will never be seen simply because the director of photography and the director had no idea what they were doing when they shot it. Some of my very best work. Yeah. And all I have are pictures, you know, so I get the picture. All I can, all I can, um, all I can, I can say, I have, I got some good pictures for the portfolio and walk away. So is that, is that one of the reasons why you started making your own movies and you became a director yourself? Well, no, not necessarily. I think I became a director at the same time I started doing effects when I was 12. When I was 12, I made my first rubber mask. Sure. And uh, at the same time, I got the video camera to showcase my effects, show, show, show people how to showcase the effects. You know, I know I'm not an amazing director. I make some fun stuff, but uh, I, I, I like focusing when I do my work. I like to focus really well on what I'm doing. And if I'm wearing too many hats, you just cannot do that. That's not how amazing movies are made. You, ha- you, you hire industry professionals that know exactly what they're doing and you allow them to focus on what they're doing. And, you know, when I'm doing effects work, I do much better effects work on other people's movies than I do on my own stuff because I'm wearing too many hats. You know, I'm just mm-hmm. wearing too many hats. And I, I enjoy focusing. So, um, you know, but to answer your question, I, no, I became a director simply to have a venue to showcase my stuff. And um, I really like working with directors that know how to delegate authority and allow me to focus and do my work correctly. Okay. So uh, we mentioned Evil Tunes uh, with David Carradine. That was your first gig. So you have a, a series out, Terror Tunes. Was this a, was this an homage to, or no, homage to the yes. the David Carradine movie? You know how sometimes you will, I don't know, if, 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 if either of you two make art, but sometimes you create something and then somebody else says, oh, that's like something else I've seen, right? And somehow that 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 other artist has somehow inspired you to do something. I mean, I can't say for certain it was, but it, you know, it, 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 it's 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 kind of weird. I never even thought about it when I was making it until <laughs> after the fact. I was like, I I worked on Evil Tunes. How does this work? You know, so the, basically, a friend of mine and I were driving up to uh, a movie set here in California to work on a movie where they were shooting the passion of the Christ, the whipping, and we were going to do all these like, you know, lacerations on the guy's back. It'd be really bloody. And um, we were, you know, listening to some music and driving on the five highway going up to Pat, uh, Palmdale where they were shooting it. And we saw this image of this like weird psychedelic cartoon cat on the back of a, of a car, you know, and we're just like talking about it. And then one of us, I don't remember who said what, but one of us said, hey, you know, they've never done a movie, a slasher movie, like an actual slasher movie, where the killer is a cartoon character that's come to life. And I said, yeah, or some one of us said, yeah. And then when they kill the people, they kill them, but they use like giant cartoon weapons. <laughs> and then, the, the, and, and then the, one of us said, yeah, but when they die, they die for real. Like, you know, like it's really bloody. And I'm like, wow, you know, I want to do that. And I said, uh, I told my friends, I want to do that. And and like within a month, we shot it. I mean, we shot the first one. We shot the first uh, Terror Tunes in three days. It was over Easter weekend uh, for $2,300. <laughs> <laughs> and the movie was in every blockbuster in America. And there were like 2,500 blockbusters in, in America at the time. 
So if you pick the 2,500, okay, let's, there were eight copies in every Blockbuster in America. Damn. Blockbuster co- bought each copy for $3.33. <laughs> so I was able to like, and that was just the first run. And that was just yeah. Blockbuster. And there was Hollywood Video. Netflix just started. Um, and um, all the other venues, uh, Walmart, Kmart, Best Buy, Target, all the rest of them. And it was kind of interesting the way that movie took off because nothing like it had ever been done. And the distributor at the time saw that and he really liked the film. And so he knew exactly how to sell it and market it. And I think that's really the success of like a lot of these films that come out, you know, when one person gets on the bandwagon and says, I love this, you know, you know, at, at least at least half at least half of the world loves something that you hate. Yeah. <laughs> and then like the other half of the world, you know, is indifferent or will love it. And then like 10%, they don't give they don't, they don't care. And that's the way it is with movies too, you know. For every great movie that you that you love, somebody else can't stand it. It's just that's just uh the odds. That's the way that's the way movies uh, work. I, I always say a movie is neither good or bad. It either entertains the person who's watching it or it doesn't. And there's really that's that's a fact. You know? Yeah. Absolutely, man. I agree. I agree with that 100. percent um, I may have said different things on this podcast in the past, but right now I agree with you. <laughs> it's true, though. If you think about it, you know, I mean, like, there's some there are movies that I, I, I like, I, I will not watch. Doesn't mean it's bad. It just that movie does not. not yeah, not for us, right? Not for us, right? So, unfortunately, I haven't seen parts one through three of Terror Tunes. Um, and when I did go looking for them, you can find them on DVD on Amazon, um, but they're they're ranging from sixty to seventy five dollars per DVD. So, does that benefit you in any way, or like how how is that? Who owns those? Like, uh, but the, 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 those copies are are probably previous viewed copies, or you know maybe someone bought like a you know a chunk of them and is selling them units one by one. But uh, there's only been first runs of all those first three films. In fact, part three has never been released on DVD or Blu-ray, and it's getting oh, ready to have its DVD and Blu-ray release. We're, we 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 were we're selling the, the units for the Territories Four campaign. Uh, but um, yeah, you know, I remember you know, someone sent me a link to one of those. Someone was like selling it for like two hundred and seventy-six dollars or something on online for a DVD of um, Territories Two. Uh, I got 2,500 units right here in the garage. So, uh, no, no, you know, it's a hard find. It's a hard find. And actually, the DVD is amazing. It has all kinds of extras on it. I even have a um, a film called Blood Thirst on it, which is a film I shot when I was uh, my, my, junior, my freshman year in high school is on it. And it's actually a really cool slasher film. So you get a lot of extra stuff from the DVD. It's a good, it's a, it's a, cult, a cult hit one-of-a-kind kind of thing, and, um, yeah, fun for the whole family. So are you, do you sell – you said you have 2,500 units. Are you selling those have, on your – Well, no, I don't have 2,500 left. I mean, we, uh, we, um, so I think it was released in 2007, and we, we, we pressed – it was a self-distribution. We pressed uh, 2,500 at the time. Oh, okay. Over the years, we've you know, gotten rid of a lot of them, but um, sold a lot of them. But I do have – you don't have to buy them for, for $276, a previously viewed copy of it. You contact me through Facebook, and I will we'll get you a signed autograph copy for much, much less. Awesome! Very cool. 
Right. What were you going to say? I was going to say that's what happens with the smaller runs of movies like that. Eventually, they just the price just keeps going up and up and up because they start getting hard to get your hands on. Yeah. Like yeah. I like uh, I love the the old seventies D and D books, and I was getting those for fifteen twenty bucks like five years ago. And now I'm seeing them going for sixty seventy dollars online. I mean, eat the shit because they're just not that many left anymore. Yeah, yeah it's like a first a first press of them or whatever. Yeah, you know, yeah, most of my films I've had. Like we, we um, one one of my most successful films was released by Lionsgate. But people don't know this. It was one of the first four direct-to-video acquisitions for Lionsgate. It's called The Jackhammer Massacre. It was originally called Jackhammer. It's about this uh, drug addict, this, this young man who had an amazing career, uh, who becomes a drug addict, loses everything, and is hanging out in this uh, warehouse where he's slamming cocktails of crystal meth, LSD, and PCP. And he goes on a killing rampage and starts, starts killing everyone with a jackhammer. And... Uh, Lionsgate picked it up, and, and at the time it was released, which I believe was two thousand four, two thousand five, every movie had to be had to go through the MPA rating board, every movie, in order for it to be put into a retail store, including blockbuster video. So when the MPA got a hold of this, you know, there's just like no way, you know. I mean, there's a scene where this woman uh, who has a lesbian lover gets caught in the middle of it, and she comes to the warehouse to find her, her, her lover and she's trying to untie her and the killer comes up behind her and pushes her over like this and rams the jackhammer up up her orifice. You can't you can't show that in Blockbuster home video. And um, they trimmed every death. Let's put it that way. They trimmed every uh. death. It's like one of my favorite films I've directed. And um, so we're gonna release we're gonna release on cut director's cut soon. Awesome. All the blood intact. Very cool. That was going to be my question. So when they do, when when distributors do things like that, you still have the original, we still have the original yeah, original master, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. So we are here to talk about Terror Tunes Four. So, are you a fan of the Grateful Dead? <laughs> is, that, is that a polite way of? Or what are you really asking me? This, no, this is because this is my my question. Because I've seen the movie. So Very the psychic. opening, the opening to the movie, I don't, you know, I don't know, but I'm not sure how many other people have seen this or when it's going to be released. So I don't want to say too much about it, but it's come out real soon, like in the next month. Okay. So, you, you, you can talk about the details of this film all you want <laughs> and people are still not going to get it. <laughs> you, you, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you yeah. Will, you, they're still not going to understand. So go ahead. So. Well, honestly, I I didn't I, I have it paused again. I didn't make it through all the way because we had to jump into this interview. But so the opening scene, it's it's like a music like there's a lot of CGI in it. <clears throat> and in my head, like I, I was a big deadhead. I still love the Grateful Dead. But that opening scene, like the the musical with the bees in, with the bees with the intro, that was that reminded me a tad bit of the Grateful Dead movie where they had the cartoon beginning before they launched into the actual movie. Well, am I right or wrong on that? Well, well that, that's a great, a great way of looking at it. I, I mean, I haven't seen the Grateful Dead movie. Okay. But my whole, my whole um, reasoning behind putting that short at the beginning of the film was uh, like a nod to a Disney film where they have 
one of those Pixar shorts at the beginning of the movie to kind of get the audience going before they get into the film. So that's basically what that was. And we actually, uh, I actually made that short. It's called Attack of the Killer Bees um, back in 20, uh, 2012. And uh, I just, I literally made the entire thing at my desktop, like right where I'm sitting right now. And, um, you know, it was like six months of just literally teaching myself. I had, I went to school the year before to learn motion graphics and I taught myself how to do all that stuff you see in it. And, uh, my, my husband, who is an Emmy award-winning editor, Steven Escobar, he edited <laughs> the whole thing. I, I, I went like, I, I went out like, like out, like just like out to party for like a couple of days or whatever. And, uh, I came back home and, uh, Steve had the whole thing done. It was like, hey, look at this. And I was like, wow, look what you did with it. It was, I was blown away. He took it, you know, he, he edited the sound, the picture, the music, and he cut the whole thing. And uh, then when I'd come back, I was like, he had this amazing, beautiful piece built. I only had just like ideas, like shots of like what I wanted it, kind of a story, you know, and I built it. But if you don't know what I'm talking about right now, you, you have to see it. It's like an animated Oh, oh, oh the, 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 I made a movie poster for it. It's Attack of the Killer Bees. It said um, uh, a 90-minute sci-fi horror movie in five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> what it is, basically, in five minutes. Yeah, and there's a very, well, 2012 uh, Joe Castro in the scene, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. I was yeah, like, oh, this, is right. filmed, this is filmed a while ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'd always intended it on putting it at the beginning of part four. You know, uh, we shot Terratunes 3, 4, and 5 back-to-back. And uh, we shot that uh, from uh, uh, 2012 to, like, 2015. And then when we – it took us, like – actually, I shot Herschel Gordon Lewis. You know, Herschel Gordon Lewis is in Terratunes 3. And I shot his footage in 27, 2007. So it literally took me almost eight years to put together part three. And then it took me 10 years to put together part four even though I shot part one in three days. Uh, and uh, yeah, So that's, that's how this, this thing evolves into this monster, right? It's like, you can't appease the, you can't appease the fans or the, you can't appease the, the franchise, you know, it's, it becomes like this daunting task to outdo yourself. So, um, but yeah, you know, some of it was made in uh, 2012. I'm still super proud of that attack of the killer beast thing, but that was what yeah, the it was. Cool. Thank you to make it like the, like a Pixar short. Yeah, so that's actually I have that written in my notes here. Uh, your partner has an Emmy for editing the Amazing Race, and then you give him something like Terror Tunes to edit. Uh-huh. Uh, so is he in? He's, is he into the same all the same stuff that you are? Well, but but we learned earlier that that you're not even into the stuff that you make. So <laughs> you know, like when we watch movies nowadays, we we, we both like um, science fiction. Science fiction, I really love. That's why I liked that Attack of the Killer excuse me, Attack of the Killer Bees, it kind of has a sci-fi kind of feel to it. And, um, uh, you know, we, we, we evolve, right? We're, we're, we're never changing. We're ever changing. Even, you know, even as grown men, our, our styles of music, they evolve, you know, maybe the same genre, but, you know, maybe more a little more mellow. More mellow. I don't know. I, I feel, feel yeah. like I'm, I'm forever evolving. Uh, but, yeah, no, I used to love watching slasher movies and this that kind of thing. And then, I think once all the like shot on video stuff, the new digital stuff started happening back like the mid two thousands, all those kind of like sick horror films with just people killing people and oh too much blood. Like people don't have that much blood in their body. 
you're like pouring way too much blood on set. It looks super silly if you think about yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and um, when it became silly, I decided that it just wasn't really for me. And every time I see it, a whole bunch of blood now, I think that looks like it feels disgusting, like ick, sugar all over. <laughs> oh. me. I don't want it. <laughs> Yeah, we are always evolving. I uh, I actually just turned the page on Nicolas Cage, and I went to see a Nicolas Cage movie the other day, and I, I did not like him for a long time, but I went to see Renfield, and I really enjoyed it a lot. I really enjoy it. I, I, I want to see it. It's going to be like a guilty pleasure, you know? Like, But it's like it's like that, like you just mentioned. Like, as you were saying that, I was like, oh, shit. Like, now that I think about it, there was a lot of blood in that. <laughs> Yeah, way too much. Oh, I, I saw this one scene recently in some popular film, and they kill somebody, and it was like done in a like a subway car, and literally like the entire floor of the subway car is covered in blood, and the walls are covered in blood, and the ceiling covered in blood. I'm like, no human body has that much blood. In it. You can't do that. That's not right. What is he like a have a garden hose coming out? You know what I mean? <laughs> I try. Right, man. I try to do my gore nowadays. I try to do hyper realism i really do i try to i think i think people appreciate that you know i think people it's the most effective especially if you're doing a kill even if it's a comedy i want it to be hyper realistic uh people just i don't know they they, they get a, a bit bigger reaction it's more effective when you're trying to mimic as close to reality as possible and in fact one of my one of my mentors told me recently uh changed my world forever and it may not mean the same thing to everybody but for me, it really helped me. And he said, Joe, if you can't master reality, you will never master fantasy. And what he meant was, if you can't make something that people can relate to, they'll walk away from it, not knowing what you've done. You know, like when people draw something abstract and people say, what is that supposed to be? You know, and um, it needs to be based, have some base in reality in order for them to be able to see it sometimes. Yeah, that's, sure. that's a good way to say that because, like, uh, it's like I've seen it, the scene in Clown where he's beating the dude with that big mallet. You don't need blood shooting out of everywhere in that scene. All you needed was after the fact, he's crawling away, and you can see it coming out of his mouth and stuff from the internal injuries. I agree with you 100%. That could have been way more gruesome, but it didn't need to be because it was perfect the way it was. Yeah. Did you ever see that movie, Session 9? Yeah. That was one of one of the, one of the most kind of creepy, cringy, you know, thriller horror films. And the only I don't I remember the, the the most effective blood in the whole film was this man was walking to find somebody else where they were working, and there was like a, two fingerprints of blood on glass ripping downwards. A man had touched the glass before he died, and I was like, it was so creepy and chilling. That's all you needed to see. You yeah, there's, uh, there's something to be said for that style of uh, horror filmmaking where what you don't see is just as scary as what you do see. Yeah, absolutely. But and with, with that being said, Terror Tunes, I don't even consider Terror Tunes a horror film. <laughs> Terror Tunes is like eating a giant box of chocolates. That's all it is. <laughs> you know, <laughs> at some point you have to stop because it's a little much. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's an indulgence, you know. It's everything I love about films all rolled into one. And sometimes you can't do that. You just can't do that. You know, sometimes you want to stick to one genre, but Terror Tunes is kind of like all, all, everything I like about cinema all rolled into one. Yeah. It's, what yeah happens it's, definitely, it's a fun movie. It's, it's definitely a fun movie, man. It's what happens when you give an artist like unlimited creative 
power, they make a mess. They, <laughs> they, they need discipline and structure in order to do things that are sometimes relatable for the rest of the world. Because if you let an artist's mind run rampant, it, it, it becomes, you know, it becomes a huge giant mess. It's like, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know exactly who you're talking about, too, but I'm not going to say who it is because he's messed <laughs> up a few movies lately. <laughs> so I have a few more things here, and then, uh, well, actually, I have one more thing here, and then I'm going to pull up some pictures, and then I just want a quick descri- description of some of these uh, amazing photos that you have posted on your uh, Facebook page. Uh, but the last thing I just want to say is I heard you say somewhere that when you were a kid, also, you got a book. Uh, by Alan Orbsby, yeah. Uh, how to make a monster? Yeah. Uh, have you ever thought about making a, a book, or you know, writing a book like that? Yeah, you know, my my my, my husband and a lot of my friends are, you know, on me to, to put together a book. You know, and uh, I have a, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of my own tricks. You know, that that that, that I use that uh, myself taught special effects artists didn't go to school for it, so I use my own tricks, and, I, and I'd love to be able to share them. I, uh, I have a, most people don't know this, but uh, I am the only living person that knows um, the blood formula to the original blood that was used in the 1963 movie Blood Feast, directed by Herschel Gordon Lewis. Herschel gave me the blood formula before he dies. I know, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm wondering, and sometimes I still make it, but I'll bring it to set, you know, and I'll use it. It still has some really amazing qualities that I still use sometimes when we're doing my work. I would be, it would be fun to be able to give that to the world and and some techniques uh, that uh, that I still use a staple of my of my work uh, you know even even today from many years ago so so, so that would be uh, definitely in Blood Feast too if they wanted to see that formula right uh, actually he didn't teach me how to use it until afterwards ah. I sat down with my husband and we did a ninety like a long on camera interview where I asked him all kinds of questions <laughs> when we were shooting Terror Tunes three and none of that footage has ever been released either. I have all this footage of him where, and he divulged all kinds of stuff to me hmm. that I don't think he's ever told another soul before he passed away. So um, we, we, we've never, we've never released any of that footage, but uh, wow. yeah. yeah. What are you going to do with that? <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it, it's, 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 it's hard enough for, an, for, for a director to like <laughs> produce DVDs and get under the fans. It's going to be, you know, we, we, we'll, we'll do something amazing with it you know um uh about literally like 28 days before herschel passed away it was like 20 or 29 days before he passed away i sent him an email like at random like out of the blue that i just wanted him to know that whenever i spoke of him i would always make sure that everyone knew the amazing things he gave us and gave to the world you know and i would always speak with uh, of him in high high praise you know and uh so happy I did that. I had no idea he was even ill at the time. And, uh, you know, he, he emailed me back and told me he totally made his day. And, um, and then, and, and I just want everybody to know that without Herschel, we wouldn't have slasher films and splatter movies. You know, he, he was the first man to exploit blood in motion picture cinema before Herschel. It was just like a drop of red paint here and there, or it was, you know, chocolate syrup, but Herschel was, it was literally considered obscene, which is against the law in the United States. Obscene is something that you can go to jail for. And exploiting blood and killing people on camera was considered obscene. 
And the only way for him to show Blood Feast was to show it in a porno house, in a porno cinema. And so he would rent out the porno cinemas on Sunday matinees and took his film Blood Feast around the United States and showed it, it would sell tickets. That's how that's how he became famous, you know. And um, but uh, without that's him, cool, man. I never knew that story. Without him, we, we would not have slasher movies. And then the reason why I say that is because he invented the formula of a deranged killer stalking innocent victims one by one, mutilating them on camera in horrific deaths. And then at the end of the movie, the killer is killed by the hero or heroine of the movie in an even more on-screen horrific death. <laughs> where, have you, where, have you, where have you heard that story before? It's the formula of every slasher movie ever made. And right. in the original Blood Feast. That's cool. Very cool. So this is something that came to me while before we get into the pictures here. Um, are you so we talked about at the beginning of Terror Tunes for how you made the little short, the attack of the killer bees and mostly CGI or how do you feel about CGI? Because because there is some of it mixed in to Terror Tunes for, you know, very little parts here and there, but there's a there's a chunk of it there's a big chunk of it in there you know i like i i know i went to school to learn motion graphics in order to blend the two you know because cgi should not be used as a creation tool as a as a complete creation tool right there's there's i mean i guess i guess it works very well for certain genres like maybe like action superhero movies or whatever you know but you still don't get the same effect as you do watching the original Superman as you do the movies today, right? Right. Um, but I, I love it, to be honest with you. I love using them together. What I'll do is, like, for instance, on, on set, I will uh, want to do a special effect, and I'll approach the director in advance, and I'll say, you know, can we shoot it like this? And then you send me the footage, and I will composite the two elements together. But I won't create something entirely in uh, the computer. Now I will shoot a portion of it practically. And because I think that's the best way to, do, to use CGI is to shoot the elements on set and then use CGI as a, uh, was it's a compositing tool where you bring the elements together. So you're really, you're working with real real world information. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Like recently I did a, a scene where uh, a killer walks up to a man who's sitting at a desk he grabs the top of the man's head and jams a giant, a giant hunting knife through the back of his neck and out the front of his head. And um, you know, of course, the director wanted to cut to a tight shot of a dummy here and have it come out. And I said, "Why don't we just shoot it as a medium wide shot and um, shove it through?" And I'll just put his. I just I CGI the man's face on top of the full dummy body, and it looks. It's just. It's, you, you can't get it. You can't get it any other way. You need CGI in order to do that. And but it's but both of the elements are real. You know, nothing's uh, created in the computer. Sure. Well, love it. Ray and I are a huge fan of practical effects, man. So I, I want to pull up some photos here, and I'll I'll put the photo up uh, over. It's going to be over us uh, completely for. A, a, okay. I'll let you get. I'll let you start talking about it, and then I'll pull it away, and I'll put it back in uh, during the editing process uh, down in the corner so we're not covered up. Okay. So let's talk about uh, this one here first. Okay. Yeah, sure. That is a creature that I built for a movie that unfortunately will never be seen. Oh, really? Yeah. This is one of these things I talked about. 
the uh, the producer and the director at the time, they just they didn't know what they were doing. And I created this creature. Uh, and unfortunately, the movie will never be completed. Oh, well, that's thanks. Yeah. How long did it take to make that thing? I think I had, I don't know, a few days. Really? Uh, it was a plan onto a young girl. That was against a young girl wearing that. And I uh, painted her whole body. She was nude. And um, I made some quick elements. If, you, if, you, if we can see it on set, it's actually a very simple thing. Uh, but she did have like a like a like a mechanical jaw to her jaw, so she could open close the mouth and the finger extensions. And um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, that will never be seen. That one there. So when something like that happens, do they like? I don't want to get into too much de- of your personal life, like with how things like money and all that stuff works. But like, I, we're hoping you got paid for that, right? Oh yeah. Do they, no. do they get to keep? So that is that theirs then? But here's 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 uh, here's how it goes down. You know, if I work on a film, I am uh, brought, I, I, most of my art. The what I do is is uh, concept. My my concept is where I make most of my money. I try to make things that are truly original, and I try to make them hyper realistic. But in order to do that, I need to do pre production design work. So I need to be paid upfront. And then we can begin the design work, you know, something like that. I was paid up front and then I did the design work and then um, I come to set and I apply it. And uh, based on whether or not the needs were met of the actual full budget of the effects will determine whether or not the director or producer or client keeps the product. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. All right. Here's another one that I really, really liked. I want to know more about. Oh, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I love that one. That character here is, um, and I can't pronounce the name of it. It's, an, it's a very famous uh, 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 H.P. Lovecraft character, Nido Dartep. I forget what it, what it, uh, they're gonna hate, they're gonna hate me now. I'll production. I'll put it I'll put it in the in the text yeah. box at the bottom. It's, it's a famous character from H.P. Lovecraft. In fact. We had a running joke on set trying to pronounce the name of it. Uh, if you uh, if you Google it, uh, uh, Siri or the Google girl will pronounce it for you correctly. Uh, <laughs> it's this weird long name, and um, uh, it's basically a creature from uh, kind of a, from H.P. Lovecraft story from the Innsmouth uh, kind of fandom world. Uh, a sea a sea god a, a god that lives. Uh, it's you know old, old uh, basically a god that's older than God. It lives in the sea, and um, yeah, and that's in a new movie coming out called The Old Ones. It's the sequel to uh, The Deep Ones, uh, directed and produced by Chad Farron. Chad is uh, an amazing director that I've been working with quite a bit recently, and uh, what I like about working with Chad is Chad, you know, he is this one of these directors <clears throat> that knows how to delegate authority and allow me to do my job uh, without micromanaging everything. And also, he... Um, uh, appreciates me asking him questions. You know, a lot of directors don't want that, but I ask a lot of questions because basically when I'm working as a special effects artist with a director, I'm trying to go into the mind of the director and extract the vision that's there. I'm not trying to be a movie star. I'm trying to extract what's in his mind because if you have one vision and you, and you complete that vision, you know, you've done your job really well. You know, of course, I'll try to put my own spin on it, uh, but 
only with the approval of the director involved. And that way the director knows what he's getting. There are no surprises. I don't like to show up on set with like, oh, here you go. This is what you got to work with. You know what I mean? They, they may, they, you know, I, I want them to be personally involved in a way that makes them feel like they're getting exactly what they want. And they have plenty of time to prepare to do what they do well on set. That, that's right. how it works, you know? So, and that's how that came about. I worked with, uh, I did, uh, I think I had two, maybe I had two and a half, two and a half months of pre-production time. And uh, that was the first thing I designed for Chad for the, for the character in the film. He's a really colorful character. And I'm like, I want it to be, that, that's on the inside of a, a turtle's mouth. <laughs> what a turtle's mouth looks like. Have you ever seen a picture of a turtle's mouth? They open up. They have all these. They have all these teeth that line the inside of a of their throat, and that's that's where that came from. <laughs> nice. Yeah. yeah, I love it, man. So, but that doesn't always happen, right? You don't always get the the two months pre production, right? Like I believe the story on this one right here, you didn't have a lot of time. Oh well, that 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 wasn't for a film actually. That oh. was for that was a makeup demo that was done at the cult classic convention in um, uh, Bastrop, Texas. It was put down uh, put put on by my my, my family down there in uh, Bastrop, Texas. So Roy Rose, I think, is the uh, the curator of that convention, and I know Shane Bradford and his wife and uh, a whole bunch of other of uh, people that I've worked with in Texas uh, put on that convention. And that right there is a friend of mine from Facebook, Damien, uh, who lives down there in Texas, and asked him if he'd be my model. I, I just jumped up on the, on the stage uh, first up on Saturday morning, and we had no idea. I came with a little bit of a plan, but he had no idea what I was going to do to him. And uh, I get like an hour to put that on him, you know. <laughs> he said, come on up here. And, uh, you know, and, uh, I have no idea. I'm like, over your eyes, I have, you know, we have blood you can put in your eyes, and we have this and that kind of stuff. But, they just they, they trust me. I guess that you know people should trust me. I've been doing this sure. for years. A lot of people get a little caught, a little scared. You know, people get oh 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 oh, oh you know they let their their fears get the best of them. You know, they see me gluing something to their face and then doesn't come off fast enough. They get a little scared. And but ultimately, I didn't get into this business to uh, make people uncomfortable. You know, I, I I do my best to make everybody very comfortable, and people should trust me when I do my job. Absolutely. So have you had any, you mentioned the, you know, with a little piece of rubber on the face, but have you had anybody like actually like get into like a panic attack? Because when we were talking to Doug, I don't know if we talked to Doug about it. I, I remember listening to some conversations that he had with other people, but he remembers he was talking about uh, people with, you know, the whole thing covering their face where you can only breathe through your nose. And he, have you ever had anyone like have a panic attack or anything like that in a situation where they're completely covered? Okay. Well, I can to answer your question. I have anybody have a panic attack. I, one time I was doing a full uh, upper torso life cast of a young woman from the, from shoulders up. And she, I knew in advance she was claustrophobic and um, I would get the, the alginate on her and then she would just rip it off. Oh my God! Can't do it! I can't do it! I can't do it! I'm like, you're not gonna die! You're not gonna die! I've done this, I've done this many times. Okay, put it on again. Perfect, perfect. Ah, I'm like, every time you do that, it's a hundred dollars. You know that, right? <laughs> <laughs> so there's that. And then one time, I um, I was working with 
an actress who I'm not going to name because she's a famous actress. And she said, Joe, I don't want any glue on my face. I'm like, but you're playing appliances. Can I put a little glue? Just a little bit. I'm going to put like a little glue right here. Just a little bit where it glues your lips. So that way you can talk with the plants. Okay. But I don't want any glue on my face. <laughs> I have to put a little glue, like a little glue, right? Just a little bit. I swear it's going to come off. It's going to be fine. It's fine. Okay. So instead I put the glue on the inside of the appliance and then putting it on her face. And then I let it dry. But it comes like a sticker, like a Band-Aid. Stick it to her face. She does the steam. It's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> when I go to take it off, she's like, she gives her phone to her producer, the producer. Will you film her? I'm taking off. Everyone. This is amazing. And then it wasn't coming off fast enough. Joe, <laughs> you glued it to my face. You <laughs> lied to me. I make a living with my face. You're hurting my face. And then she starts ripping it off her own face. I'm like, that's not what you're supposed to do. <laughs> Calm down. Let me take it off safely. This is why we, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there's that. She smacked me. She's like, oh, she smacked me. like this. <laughs> and um, she smacked me. Later on, I'll be able to tell who to tell everybody who it is. All right. <laughs> then later on, I found out she smacks everybody. <laughs> it had nothing to do with the appliance. She smacks people all the time. <laughs> Go ahead. All right. So here's one more, and this has to uh, this has to tie in, or this ties in with uh, Terror Tunes. Let's just uh, show this here. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about this. That is the evil villain reinvented from the first film. That is a character. His name is Doctor Carnage, and he has an evil sidekick called Max assassin which is a giant kind of frankenstein monkey that he invented and um in territory I, I try not to make the same movie twice it's kind of like my thing even if you try sometimes you do but, uh you know uh Terrican's four is an anthology of sorts kind of and it basically brings back uh, uh we we, we want to tell the like origin tale of Dr. Carnage and how he was created. And uh, so I tried to do more of a realistic version from the first film. Like I said, we made the first movie for $2,300. The Churches for is obviously a, a, a much more a substantial budget and production. And we had a studio with lights and many more days of production. And, you know, it was like two years of post-production. So um that that and then that's what that was. I was trying to reinvent Doctor Carnage, kind of more for for a mainstream audience of today. The original Doctor Carnage looks like an actual cartoon character, but like a three D model of him. And this was okay. a realistic version. Yeah. So when you when you car we we see you in this photo carving the Doctor Carnage head, is that one solid piece that then that you then carve the inside out? to fit down over someone's head? Is that how you do it? <laughs> that is not how I do it, but that's a good guess. <laughs> uh, for the, the, what you're looking at in that picture is like literally probably, I want to say 50 pounds of clay, you know, maybe more. And um, basically what you do is you sculpt the, uh, the character in clay on an actual, you know, positive life cast of someone. When I say positive, it's like, like a mannequin an actual like a positive and then you when you make a mold a mold of the character is literally considered a negative which would be like the inside right the negative space so if, the, if, if my face is a positive my head if i were if my face were to be a shell and i took it off the inside would be the negative 
Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Right. So when I, I make a I make a plaster mold of that positive sculpture and becomes a negative shell, that I can then pour silicone, latex, foam into and create a lightweight mask. It's not fifty pounds. Put on gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, we learned a lot uh, during this episode, didn't we, Ray? Yeah, we did. Good, good. Thanks so much, man. This is this has been really informative. Uh, we love your movies. We love the practical effects. Uh, we have one one little last segment here for. Yeah, uh, I give a can, can I give a little uh, little up and coming shout out to a couple of things that I'm a part of that I think. Oh sure, yeah, we're not finished yet. We're not finished yet. We have an, we have another little segment here that uh, that Ray does called Real Questions. Okay, it's a it's a. Thirty. You have thirty seconds to a minute to answer oh. the question, and uh, Ray is going to answer. It's for like social media things, you know, uh, for our reels and shorts and things like that. Perfect. All right, you got your timer ready, Casey. Always. Okay. So Peter Jackson parlayed starting off in you know low budget horror movies into a gigantic career, and the one thing he always wanted to do is remake King Kong. So if you could pick one movie to remake, what's your go-to movie? That's a great question. You know, if I had, you know, I have a, uh, that's a really hard question to answer <laughs> for two reasons. One, I've become best friends with the director of that movie that I want to remake now. Oh. I was going up, there was a movie called The Being. Have you ever seen The Being? Directed by Jackie Kong. It's called The Being. And when I was 13 years old, it really inspired future feature. And now I've become best friends with this director. And uh, um, I've spoken with her and uh, we're on the road to actually not remaking it, but making a sequel to it. So hopefully that would happen. But if I were to remake a film uh, from my childhood that I really want to remake, it would be Godzilla versus the Smart Monster, probably. <laughs> nice. Yeah, the first amazing. one. Yeah. Awesome. So that's so cool, man, that you're you're actually friends with the director now of one of your favorite movies and you're going to, you're in the process of working with her to make a sequel. Yeah, that would be, yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, yeah. that's awesome, man. Very cool, dude. So thank you so much, man. So now is the time plug away, man. You know, uh, I don't, have you ever seen the mutilator, the original mutilator in 1984? Yeah. I've that heard of it with the hook on the cover. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so the, they just shot the sequel to that movie uh, 36 years later or whatever. And uh, I got to do the special effects for it. And nice. so I'm hoping uh, uh, that uh, uh, you're going to see some really good gore stuff. And I can't wait to put, I took pictures of everything. So I can't wait to show everybody all the gory stuff in it. It's much, you know, the, the, the effects in it are much more way gorier than the first one. I think let's see how, let's see what happens. <laughs> But uh, I'm really excited for it. And uh, it was amazing cast and crew. It was shot the same location as the first film. Uh, and um, it should be pretty exciting. So I'm really excited about that. I want to give a big shout out to Matthew Benaha. He actually put me in one of my first leading roles in a movie coming out called Appetite for Sin, which is a vampire film that's coming out real soon. I got to play uh, an L.A. Uh, police detective. And I got to do all the special effects in the movie as well. And then, of course, the, the Beast Comes at Midnight. I got to play the, the lead villain. It's kind of like a, a anti-hero villain. And, uh, uh, you know, I get that's to be this a, one, right? Yeah, that's right. I get, I get, get to be a, the band that turns into the wolf. And then I got to jump into the suit 
and uh, be the be the man, uh, the werewolf, and uh, Michael Perez in that. Have you ever seen the movie Bad Moon? He's the the werewolf. Yeah. Film. So that was a real honor to work with him. Eric uh, Eric Roberts is in it as well. And then I have a whole bunch of stuff coming up that I want everybody to look out for. Uh, Demon Wind. Have you ever heard of a movie called Demon Wind? Mm-hmm. It's a cult film from the from the mid nineties. Uh, Eric Mathis is uh, producing and directing Demon Wind two. I've just been signed on to do the special effects for that. I'm hoping everybody will come over and join the Facebook pages and get involved in those movies. It's going to be some really cool stuff. Awesome, dude. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much, Joe. And where can people find you? Uh, People can find me on facebook.com backslash joe.castro. My Instagram account is joe underscore castro underscore director. But if you really want to reach me quickly, you can just go to joecastrofx.com and send me a message. I'll get it immediately. Thank you, man. I'm going to be uh, texting you very soon. I need a copy of that Terror Tunes uh, signed. (laughs) Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And I hope you get a chance to watch the rest of it. It gets crazy. It gets crazy. At the end of the book, I've I've been getting there. (laughs) It's getting there. We were, we, were, we were putting the film together towards the end. I literally, when we had the premiere, I hadn't even seen the whole movie altogether. <laughs> and we, we, the, the, we were like, should we keep this in? Should we not keep this in? Should we, keep, we got to keep it in because the people were in it and they, they were, we can't wait to see it. So that's why some of the stuff's in there. You know, it's like you got you to deliver. I mean, people were in it, you know. But uh, yeah. It's great, man. I love it. Thank right. you so much, brother. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you guys real soon, all right? Absolutely, man. Thank you. Bye-bye.